Hello and welcome to Extraordinary with me, James Wallace. Throughout this series, I'm interviewing incredible people who have either overcome something extraordinary or have gone on to achieve something extraordinary. We'll be hearing about a range of issues and topics from mental health, addiction, childhood, and even business, just to name a few. It's not always about who you know. Sometimes it's just down to sheer perseverance and inner strength when it comes to overcoming even the toughest of obstacles. In this episode, I'm talking to Josh White, wild child and co-founder of Canna Water, an incredible planet-friendly alternative to bottled water. Josh has navigated a huge amount of obstacles in his life, ranging from going to rehab at 15 to dealing with both his mum and brother being diagnosed with cancer. In my conversation with Josh, I get under the skin of what the driving forces were in overcoming his challenges and, of course, how it makes him so extraordinary. Enjoy the show. Hello, Josh. Hello. <laughs> um, I feel like I've spoken to you so much recently, but um, again, thank you so much for agreeing to to come on and talk about all of your experiences. Um, I guess the first thing is how how has lockdown been for you? Have there been any sort of like anything you've learned, anything that's changed for you in your life during lockdown? I'd say I'd say it's one of the most challenge. It has been one of the most challenging periods for me. Um, you know, I'm someone that is quite active. You know, I like to do things. I like to go out. Um, I don't like to sort of stay with my own head, really. Um, and I've mentioned it in the past. You know, we're all we're all used to using things to remove reality, whether that is you know going on holiday, going out, you know, working out, working you know, ev- all going, you know, doing anything, um, everything that we do, I guess, removes our head from, you know, from reality. So I, you know, would in the past have used alcohol as a form of, you know, uh, clouding out or numbing the feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't drink now, but, you know, that is, that's something that I found difficult in lockdown, you know, is uh, without all of those things, you're just stuck with the reality. So it's been actually a really difficult, uh, difficult period. So do you find, I mean, do you worry about spending too much time alone? Or are you someone that is quite enjoys your own company now? Because I guess once upon a time, you would have always needed to be out and about looking for distractions. And lockdown has forced us all to really, you know, sit within ourselves and like, you know, we're our own company now. Um, so how's that, how's that been for you? Mentally? You know Growing up, I was always known as the boy that had, like, you know, had to be with people. I had a hundred friends, you know, thousands of people around me at all given times. And I think that in the past few years, I've actually started to really enjoy my own sort of time. Um, and, you know, it has been massively put to the test throughout lockdown. Because at the beginning of lockdown, I lived with my family. Um, towards the end of lockdown, I actually, you know, moved out. And, uh, you know, it's the first time that I've actually sort of experienced really being, you know, alone. And mm. um, I definitely think it's be, uh, being alone's definitely been tough in the situation because being alone when things are good is okay, you know? Yeah. Being alone when things are bad, I think that's when, you know, you're massively tested. And I think that's what I've found throughout this period. I've definitely become a much stronger individual. But I found that, you know, when things aren't going your way um, and, you know, we, we're going to obviously probably go into, you know, why things, you know, haven't gone my way yeah. or this or that. But, you know, when things aren't going good at work, you know, when you can't be with any friends or, you know, I'm, at some points, you know, spent months, I couldn't see my girlfriend because of COVID. You're just left with your thoughts. And I think that's a very, very difficult place to be in. Um I'm very fortunate that, you know, I've got a big support group around me. But, you know, it's been it's been a massive test. It's been difficult. It's uh hasn't been yeah. easy. You know, isolation is a massive uh is a massive killer for a lot of people. Absolutely. And I thought I mean, we're all there no one feels it worse than anyone else, but I do often reflect on my own circumstances as well about, you know, being single and you live alone as well as I live alone. And actually sometimes 
it's it's okay, like you say, to when when you've had a good day and you go to bed and you make dinner and it's great, like it's fine. I enjoy my own company, but actually, sometimes if you've had a bit of a a crappy day, you you just need to go out and you don't want to feel needy or dependent. And it's just about finding that balance about being at peace with yourself and knowing you know what you can and can't control. Anyway, listen, as you say, we've got so many things to talk about because you are a very colourful individual with lots of experiences. You've done a lot and you are only 30, recently 30, same yes. as me. Two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you are, um, you know, hugely successful. You've overcome so many things. And I don't think, you know, you're someone that doesn't really pat yourself on the back enough. So I think, you, you know, now's an opportunity to pat yourself on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've built an incredible business. Like Can of Water is a successful brand, no matter, you know, which way you look at it. You know, it looks amazing. We all live in a very visual world. It's, you know, aesthetically, you know, incredible. Um, you're stocked in, you know, all the key supermarkets. You're in the Tesco meal deal, which I love. I'll always get a, a can of water with my Tesco meal deal. And you're stocked in um, Buckingham Palace and Lords. So, you know, who yeah. knows who's drinking, you know, your products. Um, and I know you've talked about this a lot, but for those who don't know, tell us where the idea came from and how it all started. Yeah, it's a bit of a it's, it's a bit of a random one because you know I didn't grow around uh, grow up around plastic pollution. You know, it wasn't something that you know me and my friends weren't standing outside of Coca Cola's office with big placards <laughs> screaming, you know, save the planet, save the planet. Yeah. Um, but you know, the idea really came from uh, a trip to Thailand. You know, uh, three friends uh, saw how bad you know plastic pollution was. Uh, you know, a conversation sort of stemmed from there of, you know, these are brands that we love, you know, we've grown up loving Evian, you know, all these different brands, Coca-Cola. How is this, how is this happening? And, um, you know, from there stemmed a, you know, a lot of research into what is recyclable and what packaging is best. And aluminium is by far the best packaging solution. You know, it's infinitely recyclable, which means it can be recycled forever and ever. Um, and, you know, it's a great quality and, uh, you know, it's as on the go as plastic. So why are we not drinking out of uh, aluminium cans? And, you know, I think that at the beginning, it was just a project. You know, we are three similar friends who have a lot of, uh, you know, the same interests. And we wanted to build a brand. And that was always the key for us is to build a really, really cool brand that, you know, someone can look at this within, you know, the next few years, because we really saw, you know, plastic pollution taking a big turn, which it did. And, you know, saying, oh, I can just swap from a plastic bottle to an aluminium can. And that was, that was the, you know, always the, the aim for us. And yeah, it's been, it's been a really interesting journey. You know, it's been six years. Um, It's gone extremely quick. It hasn't been easy at all. You know, Uh, you know, I'll give you a brief, you know, a brief sort of synopsis of it all. You know, the first two years were were horrible. Um, you know, having to tell people that canned water is going to be a thing was very, very hard. Um, hundreds and hundreds of conversations of people laughing down the phone, thinking that we were lunatics. You know, family and friends also not really understanding why we're doing this. Um, you know, we were very, very passionate and uh, we carried on and on and on. And, um, you know, David Attenborough did his thing. And uh, behold, you know, the plastic pollution story began where everyone started going, you know, absolutely mental about plastic ruining our oceans. And uh, can of water overnight, you know, became a really, really exciting opportunity. Um, you know, in 2018, we probably sold a million cans, which was just, you know, for us was just, absolutely like wow this is amazing a million cans and uh yeah by 2020 uh yeah it was uh, 19 to 20 uh we did 12 million cans in a year which was just absolutely wow. like you know for for us three and you know the other people involved in the business you know it could have been a fad you know people in the industry said to us you're never ever gonna you know you're never ever gonna be successful with a brand like this it, you know it's just not gonna happen and um, a lot of people doubted us and uh, we proved, you know, we proved that we could, you know, that we could turn this fad into a reality. Um, and we had, yeah, really, really exciting, uh, a really exciting year. But obviously, 
in the past year, <laughs> it's been a really, really difficult one. You know, really, really big test. You know, from a mental health perspective, it's been you know massively scary. You know, you start something, it's difficult, then it goes amazing, and then you just back to you know back to square one. And um, from a an entrepreneur's perspective or a founder's perspective. It's definitely, definitely going to be, or has been, you know, the biggest test for me in in my life. Um, sure. So, so when if you if you cast your mind back to six years ago when you're starting and you you said, you know, it was just a project, we just wanted to build a brand. Were you? I mean, obviously you were ahead of the curve because this was pre Blue Planet. This is pre David Attenborough. This is pre Greta Thunberg. Thunberg, sorry. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hope I got that right. Um, so. Did you have the vision at the time from inception to be like, if we're going to do this, it's going to compete with the big boys. It's going to get into supermarkets. It's going to be a volume game because a lot of people, you know, when they start businesses, they have the benefit of going small, like small and steady. You know, they might set a product, they might put it on Amazon, on eBay, whatever. But like, you have to go really big, really fast for it to be a success. So when the, when the distributors or, you know, stockists were laughing at you, did you see past that? Were you deep down thinking, I'm going to prove you wrong? Or were you, was there a small part of you that was internalizing the negativity? I think that we were just massively naive. I, I genuinely, you know, I think it was a mix between naivety and ego. I think that we, we, ha- we, ha- we haven't got experience in the drinks industry. And I think that that pulled us through. Because a lot of people in the drinks industry would never have started up this business. And I think that's what what we've been told by a lot of people. You know, it needed the three of us to do this in order for the people within the drinks industry to be like, okay, actually, this can work. Because they wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have had the confidence because they do research and there's no canned waters out there. And then they're like, okay, we're not going to do it. So we Mm -hmm. came, we did it. You know, now there's competition everywhere. Um, I think that we just wanted to create something that that you know that could change the world I, I i genuinely i genuinely believe that my you know my goal now and it's, it's a really really listen it, it's it's something that i you know would love i'd love to be able to pass on a you know some sort of whether it's a fund or 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 something to my future children or whatever that's just a purpose-led fund or you know something that can only go into purpose-led businesses whether it's you know um something to do with obviously corporate responsibility or mental health or you know that's always been my aim and uh, you know growing up I was and obviously we're going to talk about me as a kid but I've never ever and you've known me for for a long time I've never been normal you know I've never been the one the type of child that would just go into the standard thing and I think that, you know, for me, my mind was always telling me and always sort of saying, you need something that's going to be, you know, it's going to be big and it's going to be, you know, it's going to change things and it's going to be different and it's going to help people. And I think that that's what gravitated us to this idea because I've said it to a hundred people in the past, 99% of people would have come up with this idea and said, nah wouldn't work and they have you know we get messages all the time from people saying oh i thought of this years ago mm-hmm. and that's the reality you did you thought of it but you didn't uh, persevere with it because you thought it was a stupid idea and i think that is you know that's happened with millions of ideas and things in the world and we just happen to be the first people to actually put water in a can Absolutely. And I, and I think this isn't just an isolated issue to, to entrepreneurship and starting businesses, because I think, you know, I personally sit here all the time with great ideas, but I'm, I've got that fear of failure. I've got that kind of imposter syndrome where I don't feel like I'm good enough. I haven't got the funds for it. I haven't got the ability. So what was it between the three of you as, as the three founders? That was that that basically gave you the, the the confidence and the courage. You know, pulled your socks up and just like, do you know what, we're just gonna do it. Like, what was it? Safety in numbers type thing? Because again, I come back to the fact that like, you probably needed a significant amount of investment. 
you know, it's not like you can buy a few empty cans and put some water in it. Like you were talking about getting, you know, licensed um, products. You have to look at patenting, design, brand design, distribution, you know, having conversations with people. And also your cans, you've got to sell quite a few of them to make some money. Yeah, I mean, we had to... When we came up with the idea, you know, we 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 found all of the the, the pieces to you know pull together, and we had to produce three hundred thousand cans before inception, because mm. in order to print on cans, you need to make an order of one hundred fifty thousand per design. So obviously, we have still and sparkling. So you know, we sat there, and it's funny how we work, the three of us, because I think that who you work with or the type of person that you are, if you're by yourself is absolutely everything. If you won't take no as an answer and you're that passionate, you will get through it and you will, you know, you will make it, you'll make it happen and you'll make it work. I think that the thinking about it and the worrying about it is actually the hardest part of it. Um, you know, as an example, uh, injections. I hate injections. I hate them. And thinking about it just makes me want to faint. Uh, but getting it, it doesn't even hurt. The thinking about it's worse. And I think that's exactly the same when it comes to, you know, this situation. It's the same feeling uh, of, you know, scared of failure. And for us, we just, you know, something came out of us that's never happened before. And it was just like, you know, we came together and we just made things work. And we spoke to people. And we found people. Um, but it was very, very, it wasn't easy. You know, it's not easy. It's never easy. The whole journey has been, you know, really, really, really difficult. Um, and I see a lot of people talk, you know, talking about it. It's really, really hard being an entrepreneur. I don't even know what an entrepreneur, whether I am an entrepreneur, I don't even know what that word actually means. And when you become an entrepreneur, but you know, if an entrepreneur means diving into something, you know, and completing it and reaching your goal, you know, it's really, really not easy. Um, but it's just passion. It's really, yeah. it really is passion um, because I'm no different to anyone else. And my belief of myself was, you know, really, really, really low before Can of Water. I never thought I could ever accomplish what, 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 what we've done in the past six years. But to get here, it's just a leap of confidence and a leap of faith. And when something goes wrong, having that knowledge of how to troubleshoot and how to get around it, I think that is the thing that is the, like, you know, that is single handedly the most difficult part of of of, of yeah. I always remember you've got an incredible story that I'll let you explain about the distribution as in you had a situation where you were calling up distributors and for those of you I mean I am by no means an expert in the food and you know you know food and drink industry but a lot of this stuff that we see in our shelves is done through a few supplier distributors and you need to be in with the distributors for it to be stocked a lot of the time and you had an issue where um, distributors who didn't know you and again, there was a lack of awareness of demand for eco-friendly products. They were saying no. But you've got a really interesting way of getting around that by trying to generate demand elsewhere. So I'll let you let you explain, because I think this is testament to that, that fighting mentality and overcoming obstacles, because a lot of people just take no as an answer. Definitely. And I think that that, you know, that definitely in the first two years was, was what made everything, you know, so hard. Because... To get into anywhere, really, unless it's you know, uh, you know, it's a direct sale, you need to work with a with a distributor. You know, distributors uh, in most. If you look at a hotel or a convenience store, you know, they might have one distributor who delivers all of the products, hmm. and you'll call up the district, you'll call up the uh, the store, and you'll say, um, "Hey, I've got this great new product. It's a water in a can." Then they'll laugh down the phone at you, and then, you know, then we'll tell them that. Um, it's in a can because it's more environmentally friendly. Then they'll sort of be like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I really like that. And they'll say, uh, are you with this distributor? You know, we use this distributor. And we'll be like, no, 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 uh, can we not just sell direct? And they'll be like, no, no, we, we have a contract with this distributor. Then we'd call up the distributor. They'd also laugh down the phone at us. So that's the second laugh that we've had of the day. 
Um, and then the distributor will turn around and say, well, really sorry, but we don't work with any products unless we've got 10 to 15 of our customers coming to us about your product. So, you know, at that point, you're sort of thinking, oh, shit, what do we do? You know, what do we do? How do we, it's a, it's a chicken and egg situation. How do we get into these places? And, you know, at that point, you need to start building up, you know, a book and you need to start like pairing people and, oh, that guy is with that distributor as well. And then, you know, that's two people, then three people and you start building and then, you know, you start getting in touch with influencers and you start to build up awareness and then, you know, things start to slowly build and it's, you know, just chipping away every day. I, I've, I've felt like, you know, as long as you're doing something and you're active and you're being proactive in those first two to three years, you'll start to slowly see steps and start to, you know, people will start calling up your phone. and you know, I'll never forget when David Attenborough did Blue Planet, you know, the amount of distributors that called us up the day after, you know, it was just mental. It's like we had just planted a seed um, and, you know, it paid off. And it's just that that's the thing that is just is amazing about business is everything just goes in a, in a, in a full circle. And I've seen it with loads, whether it's, you know, can of water or other businesses that I've been a part of. It's this circle and your time will come. But the amount of people that give up before their time, mm. that's the bit that, you know, and, and it could be, you know, it could be a load of things. You run out of money, you know, you, you know, you can't pay your rent, all of these sort of things. We were very, very, very fortunate at that age, at 23 years old, that, you know, we weren't really happy with the jobs that we were in. You know, we didn't have a lot of responsibility. You know, we really wanted to do it and we were passionate. And I think that it's those things that everything just came together and enabled us to be, you know, in the right place at the right time. Well, it's a bit, yeah, you can you can position it as right time, right place, but also having the foresight. Again, you were ahead of the curve. There was obviously some research, some trend somewhere that said actually sustainable solutions in the food and drink industry is going to happen. And then I don't know if it was patience or just a matter of timing, like you say, but your time did come um, and you went on to on to great things. But what, you know, we can move on to, to kind of where it all began, I guess, into, into your childhood, because I think that is also quite an interesting story that I don't hear you talk about a lot. Um, and there is so much to talk about. Um, so yeah, like you said, I've known you from the age of like 10, 11, um, always a nutter, mm-hmm. always a wild child, always had a reputation for being um, not a bad kid because you weren't a bad kid, but just a bit off the walls. I don't know if that was like early ADHD or what, um, but I'm keen to get under the skin of of that story in your childhood and how it's potentially shaped, you know, how you the person you become as a 30 year old but also the way that you um you run business so i guess if we start um at the beginning is you know were, were you a happy kid like did you have a good childhood you know what i was a very i was lucky you know i did have a good childhood you know i was very fortunate you know my parents are caring people my dad you know came from absolutely nothing you know council estate in finchley uh, my mum came from, you know, um, sort of middle class, you know, lower middle class family. And, you know, there was nothing, there was nothing that I didn't have. My parents, you know, my parents gave me everything as a child. Um, but I was very lost, very lost. My whole childhood, very lost. Um, very unhappy, very scared, you know, always trying to, find something else, find something new to make me happy. Um, because I was lost. I wasn't happy. I always put myself down very, very, very low self-esteem. Um, and is that something, is that something you recognize now as an adult or when you were a kid and I don't know, we're talking 13, 14, maybe, did you know you were unhappy then? No, I just, just didn't under, I just felt different. I just felt different. And I didn't, I never understood why I felt the way that I did. Um, and I do understand now, you know, because I've been diagnosed with things and things have happened and I've looked back or I've seen, you know, the same behavior in my younger siblings, you know, all these different things, you know, growing up, 
and actually being able to look at you as a younger child and, and understanding why, you know, is a, is an amazing thing. But it also is quite a sad, you know, it's quite a sad thing as well because you know, as yeah, as as a child, really from from the ages I'd say of eleven or ten to about you know twenty, I was extremely extremely lost, and you know, I. I, I didn't really ever ever know why, and I think that was the that was the 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 sad thing. I, I just I would always try and do something new to like get this like you know get this sort of understanding or and I just never did. I just always felt lost, and I think that you know uh, what I attribute it today now was you know mad mad ADHD, which I was diagnosed with you know at the age of about eleven twelve. Um, you know, I, I could never, ever, ever concentrate. I always, always wanted to be able to, you know, listen to teachers and, you know, I, I never wanted it. it was, as you said, I was never a bad person, but I always craved for attention. I was the biggest, biggest, biggest attention seeker growing up. And, um, looking back now, it just, it's just sad. It, it really, really is sad because I just, I was this attention seeker that came across as like a happy kid who everyone wanted to be friends with, you know, I had hundreds of friends and everyone needed to be my friend. Um, but deep down, you know, I was so, so, so low, you know? Um, and you know what's interesting? Cause, cause you're absolutely right. You were by far one of the most popular, well-liked, well-known people in our year. And, you know, we are in the same year. Um, and I, and I can't help but think as you were talking there, how many parallels there are now with Instagram. And there's this kind of false sense of security that if you have a lot of followers, if you have a lot of likes, you're popular, you know, mm. there's something cool about you that, that carries a status. And it's almost the same as when we're kids. Cause, cause I often talk about how lucky we were to not have Instagram when we were growing up. Like, yeah. I like, thank God we did not Cause that I think would have made things a lot worse. Yeah. But it's the same thing back then, you know. We had we took comfort in knowing we had a lot of friends. And exactly the same. It is, it is, if you look at it, it's exactly the same. And when you hear about a lot of these stories and these people aren't happy, it's exactly mm. the same. And I was always chasing, just like they're chasing for followers and likes. I was mm. always chasing for you know friends and you know new things and this and that and. It's the validation from the shame of, yeah. It's, it's actually a horrible, horrible, horrible thing because, you know, when you're by yourself and you're not with your friends and you know how you feel, and that's mm. the reality, that you feel like shit, you're only really lying to yourself. But you're with yourself now and you're thinking, I'm not happy, I'm not happy, I'm not happy. But you have to keep it up. You know, you have to keep it up that, you know, that, personality and you know act really 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 happy you know me and my adhd you know i'd have to act wild and fun and this and that and then i'd be you know have a downer and i'd be really 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 low and it's just it's just horrible because you know i never wanted really to feel like that or be like that but so what were the what were the type of things that you would do like what were the kind of attention-seeking things you would pull out of the hat? I don't know. Like I would, I would try and act like I was like some sort of gangster, or I'd try and do something really, really stupid. Like, I don't know, set off a fire for a bit of fun, just to any, like you know, blow up, okay. a, blow up like a like a, a uh, what's it called, like a uh, deodorant can or something at a party, so everyone you know noticed me. And it was just you know, it's just stupid things, and I think that you know these things would happen on a daily basis at school, at parties. And, you know, I was just, I was just lonely. I was a lonely person with loads and loads and loads of friends. And I never really understood. I never understood what ADHD was, if I'm honest. Yeah. With you. you know, I never understood what it was. I never understood, you know, why I was the way that I, why I was the way that I was. Um, and then, you know, ADHD really led me into, you know, led me into massively into addiction. Um, you know, that was like the next, it was, it, it was like, was like the next thing for me was like, 
what 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 now to numb the feelings or what now to sort of change the way I feel and it was always about changing the way I feel everything from a younger age was about changing the way I feel how can I change the way I feel get into a relationship with a girl change the way I feel uh what can I do now all right get more attention go and you know make more friends how change the way I feel change the way I feel I hated me you know I really really hated me and um you know at the age of, at the age of about you know, 12 years old, I started drinking. Um, and it's weird because, you know, I've been part of Alcoholics Anonymous for a very long time. And yet am I to find someone that, you know, came into Alcoholics Anonymous so early, like I did. <laughs> um, but, you know, the day I had my first drink and it made me feel the way that it made me feel, which basically means that it numbed everything and I didn't feel anything. I knew at that point that I need this every day. You know, I need this because I couldn't, I couldn't live with reality. I couldn't deal with things by myself. Um, I had, you know, a lot of illness within my family um, you know, my mum got cancer. I had a, like, you know, I had quite a lot of, uh, a, a lot of problems, you know, mental and physical illnesses in my fat within my family. And yeah, I started drinking ma- like massively. Really, so how old, how old were you when you, when you were drinking? So it was, it was 11, it was about 12 to 15. Um, you know, I had my first drink very, very young, but from yeah. the ages of like 13 to 15, I was drinking like, you know, I would say like th- mid 13 to 15. Like I was, dr- I was drinking quite a lot. I was drinking like nearly every day. And then you, you went to rehab at the age of around 15. 15, I went to rehab, yeah. Wow. And then straight in. So what was, the, what was that rehab like? So at 15 years old, I'm probably a very naive school kid just trying to like not get beaten up in the playground or, you know, stop being called a faggot or something. Yeah. like. And you're already sort of on an emotional level dealing with all sorts of other stuff going on in your life. You know, you touched on your mum getting breast cancer. I think it was around the same age. You're drinking, you're feeling a bit low, well, very low. And then you're you're numbing the pain with alcohol. And then was it a residential um, rehab stint or was it kind of day treatment? So I was in, I was in the rehab for about a month and a half. Um, I, it was a few hours from my house. So I didn't really, you know, wasn't able to really see anyone. I saw my parents every sort of other week. Um, it was terrifying to be completely honest with you. You know, I think that I was this young kid who, you know, thought he was cool and hard and, you know, thought I was like, you know, had a big ego and I've gone into somewhere, you know, full of heroin addicts cocaine addicts, um, people that were uh, on lengthy prison sentences who had their prison sentences cut down if they spent six months in a rehabilitation centre. You know, I saw people, I saw a woman bite off her arm, you know, in front of my eyes. You know, I saw people trying to commit suicide. You know, a friend of mine that was in there, you know, tried to, kill someone else in there because they upset me. You know, all of the stuff that I saw in there at that age, you know, to be completely honest with you, there hasn't been a day in the past sort of 11 years where, since then that I haven't, you know, 11, 12 years that, since then that I haven't, you know, thought about being in there, you know. Really? But to be completely honest with you, you know, it saved my life completely. You know, I always say it, it saved my life. I think that, you know, what it did for me is it showed me a sense of reality in the world. You know, it showed me who I could become rather than, you know, I I think, you know, it showed me, you know, there are actual people out there that have, you know, fucked up their whole entire life from drugs and alcohol. And these people were me, you know, they were me. Um, They had everything, you know, they had ADHD. They felt that, you know, that hole in the stomach that I felt throughout my life of not feeling, you know, like having a purpose or part of that lack of confidence, you know, lack of self-belief, 
Um, and yeah, I identified with every single one of them. And they were people that were, you know, heroin addicts, prostitutes, uh, all these, you know, people, what like, successful people in there as well, very successful people, you know. Um, and was it like, you know, someone's held a mirror up to you and said, you know, look, look, Josh, like these are the people that you could be. And you were yeah. very much on that, on that road of becoming. It's literally. And was it the fear? Was it was it someone saying, you know, did did that frighten you? Did that kind of knock you out of kilter and say, no, do you know what? I'm on a road to recovery because I don't want this. I think I don't think it did at the beginning. I still think I was very naive. You know, I was very angry, extremely angry. You know, I, I was such an angry kid deep down, um, and jealous, angry, envious. You know. And I think that all of that stuff was still cloud clouding me, you know, I, I, in, with, you know, in rehab, all of my friends outside of rehab, you know, you, everyone without, was, was, it was in summer. I remember it perfectly, you know, that you, you, you lot were all out and you were doing your thing. And I was in there and I fucking hated everything and everyone, um, you know, back then. Um, and, you know, I was smoking a lot. I was angry. I couldn't understand why I was in here. I hated everyone in there. Um, but, you know, as I said, it saved my life massively, you know, looking back now. And, you know, that's why, you know, my younger sister, she's like, you know, in the same position now. She's 18, so she's a bit older, but, you know, she's in exactly the same position with, you know, severe depression. And I say to her, you, you don't understand, like, it's so it's so difficult because I try and explain to her that there is light at the end of the tunnel and you can get out of it, but she doesn't understand. But why would she understand? I never understood. I never got it, you know. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's what makes me, you know, I'm, I'm actually a very emotional person now. I never used to be. You know, I, I think, you know, the, the, first, the, the first time I remember crying really in my life was, was the first night of rehab. You know, that was the only, and I was drunk. <laughs> so like, it probably wasn't even a, you know, a proper thing. I'm not a very emotional person. Whereas now, you know, I've actually, you know, I can cry in a movie, which is actually, honestly, it's actually quite fucking nice to actually feel emotions. Um, because for oh, a I'm with you, I, mean, I didn't feel it. Yeah, no, I, I was just about to say, I'm exactly the same. I think, you know, we've softened with age. I think that happens anyway, but I think, you and I have a lot of similarities in our, you know, our, our behavior as kids, slightly different outlets, but I, um, you know, we, we covered ourselves up. We had very thick skin and people saw us as having thick skin as well. We were almost like unbruisable, like you couldn't really offend either of us. Yeah, no, completely. Uh, but now I think we realized that it was, dam it was, you know, we were damaged to quite a lot quite a large extent and i think you know the power of vulnerability we always talk about vulnerability and shame and and those kind of topics but i think when you allow yourself to be vulnerable you know it's so cathartic it's so nice to just be emotional uh, you know we were talking about a, a tv show we're both watching at the moment and you know just saying like i cried in every single episode i never cry i, I literally remember thinking um, there's something wrong with me because I would never cry even when you know unfortunately like my, my friends were losing grandparents or sometimes even parents and I just wouldn't feel anything um but yeah no I totally understand like the you know the power of feeling emotion I think it's so important and it is so nice as well yeah because for me it will as I said but it was this anger this like burning anger that I had inside of me that like it was like you you can't cry you know, can't cry. It's like, it's like, this yeah. voice in my head, like, you can't, you can't. Um, like a weakness. And yeah, and for me, like, when I came out of rehab, anger, you know, that was that, you know, I might have stopped drinking, but you know, that was, anger was actually the, the thing that I needed to sort out. Because coming out of rehab, it actually was like, before rehab, it was easy. After the journey after, you know, that for me was, 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 was the difficult part. So talk us through that then. So you've come out of rehab at age 15, 16. What was your, the rest, because that is still so young. Like most people haven't even, you know, gone to a club, let alone had a drink in their lives at that point. So yeah. how did you navigate that period of time where people were finishing school, going to parties, going clubbing, 
um, going to uni, obviously loads of booze, loads of sex, loads of clubbing, fun in inverted commas, because I, I still don't think it was that fun. Um, but like, how did you how did you deal with that? And also, you you were a DJ, like you were there in the thick of it, watching people get drunk. Yeah. You know what? It was really hard, you know, coming out of rehab, uh, you know, the following two years, going to Magaluf, Zanti, you know, watching people getting absolutely smashed out there and their faces. It was so, so difficult. But honestly, I just, I, as I, I, I used anger. Anger was like my new addiction. I was, I just wanted people to be scared of me. And I was, I used that. That's what I used. I never wanted people to see my, you know, my actual, the actual me. You know, you can't get in. You can't see me. It's like this barrier. You know, I had to hang around with the bad people and I had to be this scary individual because I didn't want you to see the sad little me that, you know, was hiding behind it. And I think that that, that was, you know, that's what I did. That's what I used. And um, the following years were, yeah, really, really tough. You know, I remember saying to myself, I'll stay clean and I won't drink, but, you know, if anyone in my family gets ill, I'm going to have to drink again because I can't deal with it. Because for me, I can't, I couldn't understand how I would become, how I would stay sober in certain situations. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't get it. Um, you know, I knew that I couldn't drink, you know, I'd got to a point where I'd wake up in Hampstead High Street in a trolley or I woke up once in a park, literally on the floor um, you know, another time on the side of a train, you know, on the side of a train track, like literally next to the train track, you know, the, the stupid stuff that I, you know, that I did, I knew, I actually, you know, it says that, you know, a lot of alcoholics and a lot of addicts, the hardest step is admitting that you've got a problem. I never had a problem admitting that I had a problem because I knew that I wasn't fucking normal, <laughs> but it didn't change the way that I felt, you know, I just stopped drinking, which I actually needed drinking to cover the the pain. And now I didn't have anything to cover it. So for me, really, the next sort of five, six years were spent rebuilding my connection with me, um, which was fucking difficult. You know, I'd get into relationships you know, one after the other, after the other, because it would just, that would be my new drug. You know, I smoked loads of cigarettes. I drank loads of Red Bull. I didn't look after myself. I ate terribly. You know, I just needed anything to take my mind off of life. Uh, relationships is a good one because, you know, I've been in quite a lot of relationships and I'm actually very thankful for those relationships because they really you know, they did take my mind off things. That's not why I was in them because, you know, I'm actually very close with a lot of my ex-girlfriends and I've got a lot of love for, you know, for, for the people, you know, that they helped me massively, you know, to learn about me. I think that's what it was all about is learning about me. I learned about me in these relationships. They would say to me, oh, you're doing this and you're doing that. And then if that happened in the next relationship, I knew that it was, you know, I knew I had to work on something. And I, I built over time this understanding of me, who I am, and what I need to be, what I need to do to be a better person. But I found things, yeah, very, very difficult. You know, in the past 10 years, you know, a lot has happened with my family. You know, I mentioned that, you know, how would I stay sober? You know, that became a test every year for me, you know. My grandma got cancer. My 13-year-old brother got cancer. My cousin got testicular cancer. My mum, you know, got cancer. Everyone started getting ill. Um, and, yeah, for me, it was like, it was hell, to be completely honest with you. You know, I'd find myself in a place <clears throat> of pain and, you know, I just hated life, you know. I, I used to self-harm as a kid, not bad, but, you know, at the age of like 10, 11, you know, that was my thing. I never wanted, never, never wanted to do anything bad to myself. I never, you know, I never wanted to become, you know, I never wanted to take my own life, even though it crossed my mind a lot of, a lot of times, you know, it, it did as, as, as a kid, don't get me wrong. But I never, I never really, I never wanted to do that, but I needed, I needed a way out. I needed some form of, you know, get me the fuck out of here now because I'm about to explode. Um, 
So, yeah. so you've not, <clears throat> so again, so we're, we're, we're moving forward into your twenties and thirties. Well, not thirties, but certainly into your twenties, you've come out of rehab. You're, you know, you, you're dealing with your sobriety, sobriety, um, it was a tricky word. Mm-hmm. And it's probably worth cleaning up now. You are a hundred percent clean and you haven't had a drink. So how long has it been now? So I haven't drunk for about 14 years. Which but- is incredible yeah which, uh, i know it's mental it's mad no i i had this i had a slip so i don't say i'm 14 years clean i'm 11 years clean i had a slip up on of something else um about at the age of 19 um i it was just a very very strange time but cut a long story short i had a very very weird experience of laughing gas which uh ended up being extremely extremely um damaging at that time, um, excessive amounts of laughing gas that, you know, the rule of any sort of alcohol, alcoholic and addict is that you're not meant to take anything that is a mind altering substance, because why would you need a mind altering substance? You know, why are you taking it? Well, you're taking it to change the way that you feel. And that's why people like myself and other addicts and alcoholics out there can't take, you know, things like Valium or Xanax or, you know, things that, you know, change the way you feel um, like other people can. I can't have one glass of wine. I can't have one glass of anything because my head does not understand how someone can have one. If I eat one chocolate, I need a hundred. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely, it's, it's, it's terrible. Um, so yeah, I, I, I had a lot of laughing gas. So I had a, a slip up and, um, I said to myself at 15, I'm never, ever coming to rehab again. I'm never ever coming to rehab again. And I, and I ended up in, in a rehab again at 19, um, which was worse than the first time. And um, from then, that's when I said, yeah, never, ever, ever again. You know, and I'm 11 years clean. Sure I knew that story, but I mean, it's incredible. I mean, firstly, being honest with yourself, knowing that you did slip up. But secondly, 11 years sober is something to be really proud of. So like you you need to take the wins um and also navigating it's not just 11 years of sobriety it's dealing with the fact that your grandma your mom and your brother and your cousin have all had not just you know minor illnesses these are severe kind of potentially long-term issues that you've had to deal with and you still kept you know the strength um to, to not cave into into the addictions and that would that must have been so triggering you know because you, you at the time that you first went into rehab as a teenager, that was also where your mum got breast cancer the first time, right? Yeah. yeah, and I think that you know, and this is you know, this is a key thing to you know to loads of people is you just you start to adapt and you start to understand, as I said, yourself. You start to learn yourself. You start to see, you know, I st- I started to to go through like Alcoholics Anonymous and do the steps which is like a really, really amazing, you know, there's 12 steps and you go through it and you get guided through it by your sponsor. And what it does is it, 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 it helps you understand things and it helps you understand yourself. So any, so once I'd done the steps, any time that a situation occurred, like someone getting ill, I, I sort of knew how to deal with it and how to sort of, you know, guide myself through it, which for me before, you know, I never knew how to do that. So it was actually quite, it was like, a, it's like a, it's like a power. I can't explain it. It's like yeah. a power that's helped me now, you know, give up smoking, you know, be healthy, go to the gym and get up every day. You know, it's a power that I've now got, which I never, I never thought or had the confidence as a kid to even think I could, I could even have the ability to do that. When I think that I'm 11 years clean, which I never really think of, Every year I say like, you know, I say like to myself, like, well done in my head, you know, but I never really think deep into it. It's like, I never think about can of water and the journey because it goes so quick. But when you, when you look back at each step that's helped you get there, you know, sometimes I just fucking burst out crying. You know, I, I genuinely like, cause, cause it's like a, it's like a, 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 a it's like a film. It's like a movie. It's an hour of someone's life, as an example. It's like an hour, like a, a film about someone. 
it's an hour that we've watched, but that person's got their whole life, you know. And and I think that's that's how I've sort of how I how I felt. So for me, like dealing with it, you know, right now is you know, as you know, you know, my mum's got cancer again. Um, my dad lost his job. I lost a friend to suicide, unfortunately. You know, works not good. I'm also a DJ, so yeah, I'm not DJing. Everything's actually at the worst that it could possibly be. But I think it's about sort of just looking inward and having that understanding and positivity that things are going to be okay. Because once you get through something and it's like the injection thing I said, once you've actually got through it, you realize that the worrying is the worst part of it. And I look at my brother, when my brother had cancer, he was, he was 12 years old. And, um, I just used to, honestly, it was, the, it was the most horrible thing. He was in Great Ormond Street for a year. Um, and it was so painful. You know, there were nights where I would sleep at Great Ormond Street next to him and look at him and, you know, my 12-year-old brother, wishing that it was me. You know, he had no hair. It was horrible. I would just look at him crying through the night and just, like, pray to God every night that he would be okay. And um, I think what you can look at the whole thing as negative but the positive that i've taken out of it is that if i had a kid who had cancer i'd know how to deal with it because that's the positive yeah finding the positive in every solution or every situation sorry is the solution and yeah i, I mean that's the thing and and you should be so proud of yourself and again i don't think we we as you know as a society as a human race give each other enough credit i mean you have gone through so much stuff um and you should be really proud of you know surviving it because it's really difficult not to it's really easy to not survive as well actually because people and it's not about being strong or weak it's just we're not conditioned to deal with like so much bad crap happening in one go you know it never rains pause and and you've dealt with your fair share of of stuff and you know i was going to come on to ask you about how you deal with it now, like what's your channels for release? You know, it can't be alcohol. It's not smoking. It's not being attention seeking. It's not setting deodorant cans on fire. So how do you deal? What's your release? For me now, which is quite funny because I'm going to say like alone time because, you know, the old <laughs> me could never have alone time. That was like hell to me back in the day being alone. Um, if I was alone, it was, you know, it was terrifying. Whereas now I think that, is what I love the most. Uh, not just being alone, you know, going to the gym, going on a walk, um, doing me time, looking after me. You know, I stopped smoking seven years ago, two days ago, which is pretty mad. Wow. Um, and uh, you know me, James. I was smoking 40 cigarettes a day. I was so bad. You know, I was eating four McDonald's every day uh, at work. Honestly, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and after DJing, it was it was so bad. I never cared about myself. Whereas now, I probably care too much about myself. But who gives a fuck? You know, I get up, I go to the gym, I do some work, I do a bit of meditation, I listen to music, I watch films, I watch. I, I actually enjoy me time, um, which you know I don't ever think about it. But you know, yeah. I mean, you need to make no apologies about looking after. I mean, we we follow each other on Apple Watch, right? <laughs> I keep, I keep close tabs on what you do. You're an absolute machine. You're burning. Like, what was it yesterday? Um, you you did 188 minutes of exercise, which is what, like three hours. Uh, you burned 1,500 calories. You did two work. You did a 6-kilometer walk, and you did a 50-minute workout. Oh, and then you burned another 500 calories doing HIIT. <laughs> Are, are we worried that we're getting into the realms of like fitness addiction? <laughs> Do you know what? I, if it's that addiction, I'm actually like, I'm happy that it's that addiction. <laughs> now, yeah. uh, you know, I think that when the second it starts becoming like proper calorie counting and like getting like freaked out, which, you know, is a complete other side, you know, I've got really bad body dysmorphia and all these that, that a lot of people do, you know, a lot of people do. Um, the one thing that I've got that's amazing is that I know that when I feel low and when I feel down, I know the right people to talk to. And I know that I can pick up the phone 
to people and who do. And I think that's, I think that's the key here is like, you know, this Zoom that I've started, you know, in the past, you know, in the past month, you know, that started out of just pure loneliness and, you know, upset, let's call it. Or vulnerability. Vulnerability. And it's turned yeah. into, you know, a group of people that are, you know, like-minded individuals who are, you know, feeling the same way, coming together to share experiences. That is, that is honestly, that is all you need to do to start working on yourself. And I, I generally feel strongly, you know, about that. That's how Alcoholics Anonymous started. And now, you know, millions and millions and millions of people are, you know, getting clean from just sharing their experiences. Yeah, I totally agree. And there's so much power in that. I also think making small changes, you don't need to jump off a cliff. You can take steps. Um, And I found, you know, me talking has given me so much empowerment and just like the ability to discuss things that I never, even six months ago, I didn't have the courage to do. You know, doing this podcast is, is an example you know, I just wouldn't have been able to have these discussions. Not that long. to myself this year, I said, because I'm actually, honestly, I'm really, really, really shy. I'm really shy. I know it doesn't seem it, but I get so fucking scared in situations. You know, I've said it to you before. I would, de- I could DJ. I've DJed to 10,000 people in a night before at a festival. If you asked me to say hello on the mic, I would faint. I would absolutely shit myself. And I think that... <laughs> I am very, very, very shy. Uh, but this year I said to myself, I really want to do things to go out of my comfort zone. You know, yeah. one of them was to, uh, you know, start this Zoom meeting thing. You know, another one was to um, climb Kilimanjaro. I'm not actually doing it at the moment because I've had to cancel. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of heights. So, you know, I'm tr- sometimes I feel like you have to go out of your comfort zone in order to go to that next step. To just totally see that you can do it, you know, just yeah. to see that you can you can actually do it. Um, and and I there's think- so much growth in that. There's like mental, physical growth in stepping outside of your comfort zone every single day. Do one thing that scares you every day. The person I was before Cano Water was honestly is not is not me now. It's not me. It's not me. The person that I was before is completely, completely different. And the reason that is, is because I've become a better operator, a better, better businessman, a better, you know, all round person, because I've grown from, you know, from that experience. Um, so, you know, really, you know, my thing to everyone is always just go out of your comfort zone. And it's yeah. fucking hard because I really, really hate doing it. And I still hate doing it. Same. Listen, Josh, I could talk to you all day. Like we could talk, I could be here for a week talking to you. But one thing I've asked everyone to do is write a letter or some notes to their younger selves. And given you have got, like I said at the beginning, such a colourful and interesting childhood, I would really love to know what advice you would give your younger self. Yeah. So for me, it's like, you know, it's, everything's going to be okay. You know, I was, as I said before, you know, I was a very, very, very low, had a very, very low self-esteem. So, you know, everything's going to be okay. Have confidence in yourself. I had no confidence whatsoever. So, you know, just have the confidence in you, have the confidence that you can be a, a fucking great person, that you can succeed, that you can, you know, you you can be like everyone else that doesn't have ADHD, that doesn't have any form of learning, you know, problems. You can be like them. You know, don't look at what others have and what you don't is another thing. You know, jealous of, you know, people having more than me, um, not from a money perspective, but, you know, being able to do things like, you know, having an up just because, you know, their dad can get them into somewhere, you know, you can fucking get into that place. You can get into it. Now, no one can tell you that you can't. And then, yeah, just carry on being you. You know, the amount of times that I tried to be someone else. You know, I, I remember there was a film, a Disney film, where this kid basically was a geek and like became like a, became like went into another school and acted as someone else. And I fucking, I love that film. I wanted to be someone else, even though I was never the, the geek, but, you know, I didn't want to be me. So, you know, you don't need to change for anyone. Just be you. That's my, that. my word of wisdom. 
Good. And I'm sure the younger Josh will be very grateful and very appreciative of, of those words of advice. Exactly. Um, Josh, that was amazing. So, so interesting. And you are truly inspirational to, to many people out there. And uh, thank you for your efforts on, on mental health as well. Setting up the Zoom and having conversations is so important and uh, you're playing a great role. So thanks once again for coming and I will speak to you very soon. Speak to you later, my friend. See you, Josh. See you. Bye.